Hey, welcome, welcome, everybody. Sunday service. Good to see you guys. Beautiful faces. <clears throat> I just got back from a, a retreat with the VM leaders. It was an awesome retreat. Uh, just being able to pray with the adult leaders. And it's so funny. I'm, I'm, for, I'm almost 40. Whenever I'm around them, I feel like I'm still 18. You know, talking to oh, us. It's the weirdest feeling, but uh, it was great praying. I love that retreat. You know, it's, it's one of those uh, no-brain retreat. I just showed up. And I said, Lord, you just, whatever you want, just I'll do it. You know, it's like nothing you have to plan for, nothing you have to worry about. It's a, it's a great retreat. And, you know, I, I felt really blessed by our EM retreat. And I felt like God was really uh, just doing a lot of work there in that place and speaking to us in that, uh, in the, up in the mountains. And if you guys got a little sick, got a little cold, you know, don't, Ain't nothing, nothing of it, you know? It's just maybe God just saying, you know, I want you to, I just want you to be quiet a little longer so I can speak to you just a little more, right? So uh, praise the Lord for that, all right? And we are in our last message of our series, Rooted in Christ, a uh, year of Christ-centered growth. Um, and and uh, the heart of this message, uh, the series was, it's about this idea where uh, here we are uh, as Christians and we... We, we, we give lip service saying that we believe in God, we, we follow after him, we worship him, we love him, and yet our actions, our thoughts, our, our, our character does not reflect what we say we believe. And, and, and this is one of the reasons why a lot of us, we kind of leave the faith because we see that in our parents' lives where they say certain things, but their actions, their, 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 their thoughts, their decision-making doesn't reflect what God, or what they say they believe, you know? And there's only two options there. Either they aren't believers or they're believers without discipline. And the way in which we've been talking about how we begin to bridge the idea of here's, my, here's what I believe and here's the character change that comes from it, that bridge that creates that truth to be driven deep into us that changes our character is discipline. It's discipline. We talked about discipline of worship, ascribing ultimate value to God with all of our minds, with all of our emotions, with all of our will. We talked about community, creating a community of discipline where we are, it's not a safe, not selective community that is uh, not private, vulnerable because you put yourself out there, building into each other's lives, walking together in our lives um, with one another. We talked about discipleship, evangelizing, and discipling, walking with somebody, maturing them in the faith. These are acts, these are disciplines that takes a person from saying, this is what I believe, into the maturity that they're called to have, right? And last time before we went to retreat, we talked about mission, how mission is pretty much uh, bringing the worship of God to a place that does not have God's worship. Mission, our mission of the Christian life is to make sure that the kingdom of God goes to, to the ends of the earth, that our job, our why, of why we exist as a community, as a church, as a believer, as a Christian, is to make sure God's kingdom is taken to the ends of the earth. Even when Jesus came to earth, his first thing he said was, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That was his message, that was his why, and that is our why. And I want to share with us today this question, how do we make mission of Christ center of our lives? How do you make this mission that God has given to his church, his body, imperfect as we are, selective as we are, right, broken as we are, everywhere as we are. How do we make this mission of Christ center of our lives? And I want to start 
with a, uh, by way of introduction, an article that I make all of our short-term missionaries read before they go off into the mission field for the summer. It's uh, from, the, from the website Desiring God. It's written by this guy named John Bloom, and he shares about a story about his relationship, about these two missionaries that were missionaries to an Islamic country. And he, he shared about um, their response and their story. And I want to just kind of read this article to you. I'm going to try to summarize parts of it, but it's a great article, so just listen to me. And it's, it's, the article is titled, Satan Will Sing You to Sleep, Waking Up from Spiritual Indifference, right? So listen now as I share this real fast. This is from John Bloom writing about these two missionary uh, couple. You don't tell people about Jesus because you don't care about their eternal state. His assertion stung, but I knew it was true. Confronted with the way he lives for the lost, its truth was so obvious to me as the nose on my face. And like the nose on my face, I wasn't paying much attention to it until he called it out. But unlike the nose on my face, his, assur- his assertion was eternally significant. I recently met this remarkable man while traveling in the Middle East. He, along with his wife, is leading a rapidly growing movement of Muslims turning to Christ in a very restricted part of the Islamic world. I had the great and exposing privilege of spending hours with him. I wish I could tell you more about his story, how Jesus called him and the incredible ways the Lord uniquely prepared him to make disciples, plant churches in very dangerous places. His story is worth the book, someday. For now, I will spare the details, lest... I in any way expose him. But I must pass along something he shared with me, though, because we all might be ignoring the obvious and eternally significant no's on our collective Western Christian faces, to our own spiritual detriment for sure, but also to the spiritual catastrophe of those around us. My new friend lives in an Islamic world where sharing the gospel, if you're caught, will get you thrown into prison and likely tortured to extract information about other Christians. Yet he and his wife are daily, diligently seeking to share the gospel with others because they want to share with them in its blessing, even more than they want their own survival. Each morning when this husband and wife part ways, they acknowledge to one another that it might be the last time they see each other. She knows if caught, part of her torture will almost assuredly include rape, probably repeatedly. He knows if caught, brutal things await him before a likely execution. For to them, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet each day they prayerfully pursue the spirit of Jesus' direction in order to show the lost way of salvation, and they're equipping other Christians to do the same. And all those things were wonderful and encouraging, as well as convicting to hear. But then he told me a disturbing story. A number of years ago, this man and his wife were given the opportunity to move to the States, and they did. And after living here for a period of time, however, the wife began to plead with her husband, that they moved back to their Islamic country of origin. Why? She told him, it's like there's a satanic lullaby playing here, and the Christians are all asleep. And I feel like I'm falling asleep too. Please, let's go back. And which they did. Praise be to God. And this story continues, contains an urgent message we must hear. She wanted to go back to a dangerous environment to escape what she recognized as a greater danger to her faith spiritual lethargy and indifference. And this should stop us in our tracks. Do we recognize this as serious danger, how spiritually sleepy we are? According to my new friend, we can gauge our sleepiness by how the eternal states of non-Christians around us shape the way we approach life. 
Judging by the general behavior of Christians in the West, it's clear to my friend that as a whole, we all can point to remarkable exceptions, of course. We don't care much about people's eternal states. Right? It's a powerful uh, uh, article. If you want to read the whole thing, I put it on the sermon notes. You guys can click on it uh, if you guys ever have a chance to read it. Very powerful uh, article. Sobering in this message. But the question I want to ask us, and I want us to be reminded, and this is how we're going to end this series, is I'm going to try to end it on a, um, not a positive note, but on a sobering note. All right? I'm going to teach in the negative, okay? So hopefully, uh, hopefully it works. We'll see, right? How do we make the mission of Christ center of our lives? And I hope and I pray that you guys get this message deep in your heart because this is going to change your life or you're going to go about continuously indifferent and sleepy. Open your Bibles. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. This is the church that Jesus wrote to. He wrote to seven churches in the book of Revelation. This is the letter he wrote to this church. And as he wrote to this church, this was the only church out of the seven church that never got an encouragement. They just got straight rebuke. Okay, one after the other. No love, just honest, clear rebuke. And we're going to listen to this, and we're going to understand why was this, why this thing was such a um, huge um, setback for this church. Okay? I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. To the church in Laodicea, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. For here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. And I ask, oh God, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you stir in the hearts of the sons and daughters and friends and families here. I ask, oh God, that you would remind us the truth and the power of your word, that you would open its power into our eyes that we may see and understand our spiritual blindness, that we, Lord God, would be awakened to our need of you, your truth, your power, your word. I pray, oh God, that there will be a change in our hearts today, an awakening of our spirit to the things that belongs to you and to your kingdom cause. Oh Lord, I pray over my brothers and over my sisters. Speak to us today. Guide us, Lord, until we find the path of righteousness. We ask, oh God, all these things in your name. Amen. How do we make mission of Christ center of our lives? How do we make the mission of Christ center of our lives? Verses 14 to 16, listen now. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. This is Jesus here, his titles, right? The indeed, the one who is the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, 
that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. How do we make mission of Christ the center of our lives? First thing is never be lacking in our zeal. Never be lacking in our zeal. Laodicea lost their zeal. And in their lacking of their zeal, Jesus said this about them. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Let me give you an understanding about their background here. Laodicea was, they were known for their raven black wool. They were a rich city, finest in the land. Manufacturers came up everywhere just to purchase these wool. Very wealthy. They were so wealthy that when an earthquake happened in that city, they didn't need the help of Rome to rebuild that city. The rich people in the city rebuilt their own city, right? They were full of wealth, full of prestige. And on top of that, they were, they were intellectually educated. They were smart. One of, the smart. one of the greatest universities was in this place. They discovered an eye salve that actually cured, helped cured personal blindness over in that city. And so they, they, they valued themselves on their material blessing. They valued themselves on their personal wealth. They valued themselves on their intellectual understanding. But there was one weakness in the city. It was their water, right? North of the city was, this, was another city named um, Herapolis. And this city was known for their hot springs. You know, you drink hot water. Or every, you've been in a sauna you, you, after, a hot, I mean, after a day of like kind of Tense muscle away, you put yourself in a sauna, everything eases up, you relax, it feels good, you know. It's a, it's, and you drink hot water or hot tea to uh, make yourself feel better if you're having a cold or whatnot. Hot water is medicinal. Hot water can heal, right? So Jesus was saying that you're neither hot nor cold. He wasn't saying you're bad or good here, okay? Hot water was good. But you know what's also good? Cold south from Laodicea was another city named Colossae. And this city was known for their cool springs, they would have refreshing water. You, you would work out, and then you get sweaty, and you're perspiring, and then you drink a, a cup of glass of uh, cold water, and it would refresh you and make you feel great again. And so Jesus is saying, I know your deeds. You're not a hot nor cold. He's not saying you're bad or good. He's saying, I wish you were either one of these. But you understand what I'm saying, right? When you have to pipe that water back into your city, Laodicea, six miles actually of piping. By the time it got there, the hot water and the cold water became what? Lukewarm, tepid, nasty. They have to filter it because of all the dirt that collects along the way. They have to be careful because, you know, enemies could poison the water because of the six-mile piping along the way. And so by the time it got to him, it was just disgusting. They had to spit it out of their mouths oftentimes. And Jesus is saying, that is exactly how I feel about you. Why? Water is either to refresh or to heal so is your witness. Jesus, I am the true witness. You're meant to be a witness for me, to heal and to refresh. But like your water, you no longer do what you're supposed to do. And therefore, you're disgusting to my lips. I will spit you out. Now, they were a church. So you know what they did? They still had their worship. They came on, on a Sunday. Somebody showed up played a little bit of jingle on the, on the guitar, sang a few songs, up and said some few words. They prayed together, and they went about their daily business. They did their whole church thing. Nothing changed. Their obedience looked like it was obedience, but something about that, God is saying, partial obedience is not obedience because your heart is not here. You've lacked the zeal. You've lacked the purpose of why you were made to be a church. It was not to sit around. 
Pat yourself on the back of how well you look. Pat yourself on the back on how big your bank account was. Pat yourself on the back on how intellectually smart you are, how logical you are. You're supposed to come and be a witness to my name. The one who's made all of, these, all of creation, you are to be the true witness, but you have not been that. You're a lukewarm. And so I will spit you out of my mouth. You've lost your zeal for me. You know what that means in the church, what it looks like for us? To be lacking in our zeal for God? It looks like this. How do we make mission of Christ center of our lives? Never be lacking our zeal. When you worship God, when you worship God, worship God is ascribing ultimate value. He is the center. He is the thing you seek for first. With your mind, with your will, with your heart, you are ascribing ultimate value to him. If you find yourself unable to sit and listen when you come to a service, to hear his word, and you're constantly distracted by your phone, right, or waiting for the sermon or the service to end, or you're constantly being uh, distracted by those around you, and you're waiting to, so that you can bounce from one appointment to the next appointment, getting to the next place, reality is this. Either you're not a believer or you're spiritually very immature. The Bible says when Christ meets you, he changes your desires. Do you know how often the church met back in the days? They met where? How many times? Daily. They met daily. Not only in the public space, but in the private space. They were with each other, listening to God's word over and over and over. And here we are, we come late, and we leave early. Distracted, the game's on. Something on social media tells us we got to be here, falling asleep because we couldn't find a way to sleep earlier the night before so that we have to somehow knock out in the middle of service. Never lack your zeal. We lack our zeal when no longer is the worship of our God the center of our worth and our value. And Christ says the word is very simple. You're lukewarm. You're lukewarm. Think about this. If a random stranger walks into our community and they see that as they walk in, what is your witness to Christ in that? Knocking out. Texting sitting behind you as you're watching some other things. What are they saying? Whatever this guy's preaching must not be important because half of the people don't even care about it. Ten people walk in after the song's over because, you know, it's just just singing. We didn't really miss anything. What does that say to the witness of those who come? You've lacked your zeal. You've lost it. I wish you were out of high or cold, but you're neither one. You're lukewarm, so I will spit you out of my mouth. Never be lacking our zeal. What that looks like in the, creating, in, in, in the community aspect of it? We're called to create a community of God, right? A community for God, a community of God's people, a community that's not selective, a community that's, that's not private, that's not safe because we're vulnerable, we're open to each other. And it's hard to create community. It's hard to connect to people because you only want to connect to people that are easy to connect with, not people who are difficult to connect with. People that you think are, you know, don't take ownership. People who are lazy. People who are selfish. People who are focused on themselves. You don't want to focus and connect on that. You only want to do it with the people who are, you know, with you in this area. It's hard to build into each other's lives. But we are never to be lacking in our zeal to do that. So even if it is hard, 
He says what? Honor each other above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but, be, but be, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Do not be proud. I'm quoting Romans 12. You guys get me, right? Yeah, all you guys are memorizing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got this, right? Yeah. It's hard to create a community. It, does, I don't, it does not matter how smart you are, how spiritually inclined, how many Bible verses you can quote. If all those things you have, if all those spiritual experiences you have, and you do not have a charitable heart for those who bear the image of God, Jesus is saying you are lukewarm because you've lacked the zeal. And it's the most deceptive of all. You know why? It's, it's because you can quote Bible. It's because you feel spiritual, that you feel isolated from people. I don't want to deal with him. I don't want to deal with her. They're selfish. They're annoying. They talk about random things. Never be lacking in your zeal. The zeal is to community, to put yourself into the lives of others, even when it's difficult or not personally beneficial to you. We tolerate presence more than we actually love. And yet God calls us to love. What does it mean to be never lacking in our zeal? What is our witness? Think about this. What is our witness to the world? That if the mission of God is to bring his kingdom to the ends of the world, and we only selectively, privately connect with those that we feel connected to, what is the witness? This message is only for a few. This message is only for a specific type. This message is only if you get it. What does that say? How about discipling God's people? We're never to be lacking in our zeal in the same way. To make disciples, that means evangelizing. It means to evangelize. I don't care what theological position you hold in evangelizing, just evangelize, right? Whether you like cold evangelism or relational evangelism, doesn't matter to me. Just evangelize and then disciple. But don't just talk about it, right? Don't just talk about that. I hold to this position. Okay, great. Now what? I just want to let you know. I know. Now what? I just want you to know. I, I get it. Now what? Do something about it. Whether you're at work, in church, or at home, you're called to disciple. It is the central aspect of Christian life. You know, I was really convicted by our, uh, our devos for our challenge, right? Our devo for our challenge was to... Um, uh, to focus on our one. You know, my buddy, best, my, my best friend, Min, he's been on a trip to Europe, you know, because he's 40, midlife crisis, midlife, midlife crisis, right? And, you know, yeah, he, 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 the thing about Min is you can't buy him anything, right? He'll buy his way out of whatever he needs, right? That's the thing. You can't buy him anything. You can, so I, told, I brought him over. I said, hey, come over. Let's have a dinner for your birthday. You know, I didn't have a chance to celebrate it. Come on over, right? But in my head, I was thinking, I'm going to, everything I've accumulated for these past, you know, so many days of, uh, Devo, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just pour it out on this brother tonight, right? And we brought him over, and I, you know, I couldn't buy him anything because I don't have anything to buy. I just, I made him something, right? Made something that he, I, that he couldn't make himself. It took, it took some time to make this, so I, I, I made it for him, you know. Um, I aged whiskey. I aged whiskey for him. That's pretty much what I did, right? So I did it for him. I gave it to him as a birthday present. And then I just sat him down. We were just talking, shooting the breeze, you know, like how's Europe? How's the soccer match? Manchester United. He's like, oh, it's crazy, blah blah. Then eventually, I said, hey man. All right, let's stop. He said, what? Like, I'm a true believer. He's like, okay, I know, you're a pastor. No, 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 I am a true believer, man. He's like, where are you getting at? 
I really believe in what I'm saying about Christianity. He's like, okay, I get it. We prayed for dinner together. I said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand. I really believe that if you do not know Christ, your state is hell. I do not want to pour this glass of wine without you in the banquet hall of my father. Right? What is keeping you from accepting Jesus into your life? You tell me now, right? I am not leaving. We're not leaving this kitchen until we work this, this whole process out, you know? You know, my wife being cute, you know, she comes in. When she felt like being too tense, she walks in and says, hey, guys, let me show you a couple of pictures of us back in the days, you know? She walks in and uh, shows him a picture of himself. Like, oh, you know, back then when, at her graduation, he was my size. He was like, wow, I look skinny, right? And I looked at my pictures like, whoa. I'm a punk, right? Why did she even marry me? You know, it's crazy. But, you know, she'll, she'll just jump in now. She'll go out and she'll, you know, um, watch TV while I'm just like, you know, tell me, right? And I was like, just tell me. I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer my best. Well, whatever it is. I said, man, I get it. You know me best. I am not the best witness sometimes, right? I am, I, there's a lot of things I regret doing in, my, in front of you that I will never do again, you know? I'm just saying, I understand, right? I understand. But I also need you to know this is true, right? What do we need to do today? You're not leaving this place until you make a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. So you tell me right now, right? And he's just like, look, man, I get it. I love you. I said, I love you too. I, like, my kids call you uncle. Like, what are we going to do? He's like, look, I use the analogy all the time. If you have a restaurant, you love the restaurant, you're going to share the restaurant with me, right? I said, yeah, get, you get it. He's like, I just don't want to go to the restaurant. I just, I really don't, right? I said, but Why? Like, you, you are the number one guy of getting out of things easiest. Like, this is by grace you are saved. Like, how much easier is that? You know, like, do you not understand this? So I went, I went through the whole sin process. I was like, look, this is what sin is. Do you recognize how heavy it is in your life? You're not sitting against me. You're sitting against the living God, right? Your judgment for him is honest and real. You cannot talk your way out of this one, right? And you can't just embrace it. Because, like, you know, he always, he always he did this one thing for me for a while. He's like, I'm just going to embrace my punishment. I was like, no, you're not. You are not, you you try to get out of everything. You try to do things the easiest way. You're not going to embrace your punishment. You're going to be really upset that day. I'm telling you right now, right? (laughs) What are you going to do, man? Right? And he said, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know, man. I just, there's just a wall. I said, all right, I'm going to lay my whole Christianity on the line right now. Right? He said, we are. Ask for a miracle. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to pray for it to the end of Easter. If it doesn't happen, all right, you don't have to believe. We don't talk about this anymore, right? But if it does happen, you guys have Jesus Christ into your life. All right, he was like, that's kind of black and white. I said, like, that's what's going to take right now. Just tell me the miracle, right? And I was thinking, about, I was thinking to myself, like, what, worst case scenario, right? God doesn't answer it. Okay, you don't believe anyway, so what does it matter, right? I know why God didn't answer. Maybe it was the wrong prayer, right? It wasn't the right time. Okay, fine, right? God, that's on you, you know? But if God does answer it, win-win. It's a win-win. I worked out. It's a win-win situation, right? You don't believe either way. So if that happens and it changes your life, amen, right? Give me a miracle. He was like, what if I said, like, winning the lottery, right? I was like, you could ask for that, but do you really want to ask for that, right? I mean, I'm talking about a real miracle here, man, like miracle, miracle. Ask for it. Now, I said, let me think about it. I said, think about it, okay? I'll give you to Wednesday, this Wednesday. Tell me what it is, and I will pray for you till Easter, We'll see what happens, all right? But here's the thing. When was the last time we, we had the zeal for our friends and our families? They're going to hell. 
right? Like, even thinking about it, like, I remember I was sitting there, I was, uh, I was just eating Korean barbecue, and, we just, and I was like, man, I can't imagine not having this dinner with you at my father's table. But we're so asleep, aren't we? It's the most thing we, we focus on is we, we're so caught up in our, in our day-to-day life, just creating our, our kingdom for ourselves. But I know what you guys are thinking. PT, I'm, I'm all into that. I just need my life to kind of settle down a little bit. You know, just, just, I just need things in order. You know, work has to be in order. Family's in order. Relationship. And, I, and when everything is settled down, you know I'm going to be for this. And that's the problem. That's the problem. You know why? Because I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in the Bible. The Bible tells me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you. Your comfort, what you need. But our, our, our philosophy is seek first my comfort and my things, and then I'll focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. That's backwards. That's backwards. But here's, the church was like this too. This is, this is why it was a disgusting thing to his lips. Because you bear my name. You bear my, you are my witness, and yet you are not doing the very thing you were made to do. You are neither hot nor cold. You are neither healing or refreshing. You are lukewarm, tepid. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Look what he says about this church. Verse 17, he says this. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. Salve to put on your eyes so you can see. How do we make the mission of Christ center of our lives? First, never be lacking in zeal. Secondly, set your heart centered on Christ. Set your heart centered on Christ. Laodicea thought they were rich, blessed, and have achieved it all because of what they had. What they should have been doing has been centered on Christ. They thought that their richness equals spiritual richness. Do, do, do you know what's wrong with the mentality when it says, wait till everything settles down, everything is good, then I will give you your kingdom. Then I will seek for your kingdom and your righteousness. You know, when I have everything settled, you know why that is such a deceiving and deceptive way of thinking? Because the moment that happens and you step into it, you're not going to fully give glory to God, right? Because you're giving glory to God when everything is going right for you. The real glory goes to God is you're willing to follow him when things aren't right for you, when things aren't settled for you, when things are difficult for you. That's when the glory comes. But we equate the opposite. Let me settle everything down, and that happens. See, gold refined in fire which, uh, what Jesus is saying is often referred to the test of spiritual richness. You think you are rich monetarily, that you have six figures in your account, or you're trying to get there, or maybe seven if you guys are ambitious, right? You think that makes you rich? That actually makes you poor, because what makes you rich is how you handle the difficult suffering when it comes. That are you still for me when that happens? That's spiritual richness. Not when everything is going well for you, See, we live in a generation that's been so blessed. We live in a prosperous generation, generation. And so we don't understand suffering as much. We don't sense it as much. We make fun of our parents because they always talk about suffering. 
Suffering, difficulty, is what refines you. It's what God, it's how you give God glory in the middle of the difficulties in your life. If you're not doing it in your suffering, then in your prosperity, you're not doing it for the Lord. You're giving lip service to God in it. They thought that the material covering equals spiritual covering. The black woven wool, finest in the land. Their material wealth, the clothes they had, the bags they carry, the materials they used to be covering for their lives. They thought to make them feel right before the world. To say that I've made it. Look at me, I've made it. Look at my clothes. Look at what I have. Look at my accessories. I've made it. And Jesus says the only covering that matters is the covering of righteousness that comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. All those things will fade away. All those things will perish and burn. But the only covering that means anything is the covering of righteousness in your life. To seek for his righteousness first. To seek for his kingdom first. Not for your wealth. Not for your material blessing. And on top of that, this is the worst one. They thought that their achievements equal spiritual achievements. Look how smart I am. Look how much degrees I have. Look how many um, letters I have behind my name. Right? It blinds them to thinking that God has blessed me, therefore I must be walking with him. Reality is, can that happen? Yes. doesn't mean it will happen. But we've been, we've been deceived. Almost a lullaby. That's not from the Lord, by the way. And sometimes it's whispered in, in, in the halls of our, of our sanctuaries, in our church, of what it means to be fully centered in Christ. You know what it looks like to be centered in your life in Christ? Ask the question, what does God want me to do when it comes to your money? You know what's funny? It's funny. It's hilarious, right? When it comes to your money, for some reason, the, the whisper that we think is God's voice is like, buy a house. It's the best real estate investment ever, right? For your prosperity in the future, your retirement. And I'm looking at the Bible, I'm like, buy a house. I don't see that. Actually, every time I see money spoken in the scripture, it's always used for the blessing of others and God's kingdom, to advancing of God's kingdom. And then, after that, Whatever is left is for to cover your needs. You know what's funny how the Lord's prayer is, give us this day our, not our future bread, right? Lord, give me my future bread today. Give me the accumulation of my future wealth today. It's actually give me my daily bread today. First, for the work of God's kingdom, and then for whatever it is that we need to live. But you know, I want to make PT, I want to make sure I'm all settled. There's a lot of people who are financially um, irresponsible. You're right. Collecting debt. You're not supposed to do that. You shouldn't be collecting debt. Financially irresponsible. Right? But the majority of, and, you, and so the most financially responsible thing you should do is buy a house that's $600,000 outside of your range and then, you know, hope for the best in that one. It's really confusing to me sometimes. Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air has nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We follow a Savior who is homeless. And yet when it comes to money, buy a house. 
is the wisdom across the ages. It's not about you. It's not about you. The money that God has given, whatever situation, first and foremost, the question you ask always, God, what do you want me to do with this? What is my responsibility? What is my stewardship with this? Am I faithfully carrying it out? Then afterwards, whatever's left over, God, we always pray the prayer. God, give me enough so that I don't beg. Right? But not too much that I don't need you. When it comes to your job, your job, for some reason, the whisper among the ages is, Irvine, California, easy cushion job, 401k. So much benefits. Work in the scripture was to bring Eden wherever you go. The kingdom of God wherever you go. You don't think Watts, California, needs Jesus? You don't think Skid Row needs Jesus? No, I can only be a teacher in Artesia, California. Best school. Maybe you're called to work in places that actually needs God's presence. But that may mean taking a lower-paying job. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not God's will for me. Really? Have you even asked? Have you even asked? Because it's not about you. Maybe God's calling you to a poor city, a different way of life, to do his work. Have you even asked? Your default setting is seek first me. And then later, when everything's all settled, God's kingdom. I'll throw some money out there somewhere. What about your education? Your future education? What do you want to do with it? Be a doctor, lawyer. Why do you want to be a doctor? You know, you spiritualize. If you spiritualize it, you'd be like, oh, because I want to do mission. And help people. Oh, great. So you're going to, after you graduate, you're going to pack up your bags and go to, like, you know, Zambia or, you know, like, Czechoslovakia or even Ukraine right now is going through the war. Is that what you're going to do? No, 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 no. Like, maybe a week, a year? I mean, a week within a year to Jesus somewhere? It's like, oh. So Jesus is like an accessory to your work. Accessory to your education. The question you're supposed to be asking, first and foremost, What does God want me to do with my education, with my job, with my money? To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Am I telling you that you're not going to be able to buy a house, that you shouldn't? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that shouldn't be your priority. Am I saying that you're not going to be able to have eventually a nice job that's going to be able to be a bigger blessing for people? I'm not saying that either. I'm saying you haven't even asked where God wants to place you. You know, I was telling to the kids, the youth group kids, I told them, you know, you have a problem with your parents because you think they're hypocrites in their faith. I have a problem with you, right? You virtual signal all the time. You talk about like, wow, we should do this, take care of the poor, fight racism. And then you post about it, you write about it, great, go do it. No, 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 no. That's, that's for the other people. That's for the other people to do. 
No, no, you should go do it then. I mean, if, if that's on your heart, that's what God's placed it, then go do something about it. But you just talk about it. Jesus is not going to say, well talked, well planned, well posted. I like that one, right? The tweet, love it. He didn't, he's not going to say that. He's going to say, well done, my good, my faithful servant. What does God want me to do? Your marriage. Why do you want to get married? It sucks being alone, right? Rather than asking, who does God want me to marry? Not who I can settle with because I'm running out of options. You should be asking the question, does this person have the characteristic of someone who can help build a godly legacy rather than someone who's just making me feel bubbly inside? What does God want me to do in my marriage? In your marriage, you know, if you've been through with me in this marriage counseling, we've talked about this. Your marriage is meant to reflect the image of God to the rest of the world around you. Sons, brothers, you are called to present your wife before God blameless. You know what that means, to present your wife before God blameless? It is to cover her with the word, to wash her with the word of God. It means that oftentimes she's going to fight you tooth and nail about what you should be doing. You'll be like, okay, look, I know that's what you think, but this is what God's word is saying, and I'd rather be here than that. I know the phrase happy wife equals happy life. That I'm not gonna lie, sometimes that's very, very true, you know? But oftentimes, by the following of the statement, you compromise the obedience to your God. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, it's gonna be easy. Like you're not gonna pick up your Bible brothers and say, hey, wife, listen to me. Let me quote the scripture. She's gonna nag, she's gonna whine. She's going to fight back. But your job is not to cry about it. It's to present your wife before God blameless. To do whatever it is, as long as it is. You'll be patient. You'll be loving. But the word of God is what you surrender to, first and foremost, always. And sisters, ladies, okay? I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not going to find this guy right away. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm just gotta wait to the perfect dude. To, he's not gonna be around, okay? You, what you're looking for is, is he moving in that trajectory, right? If, if he's in that trajectory, if he's allowing God to work in his life, then that has a good trajectory. If he's going the opposite way, if he's not even a believer, then that should be enough to say, you know what? This can't be happening because if he's not, how is, he gonna, how is he gonna present you blameless for God if you can't even open the word of God? Right? How, how are you gonna build a spiritual legacy when you can't even get your spouse to show up to church? How are, you gonna, how are you gonna reflect God's image in your life if you can barely muster up the will to serve him together? How do you make Christ center of our lives, the mission of Christ center of your lives? You got to set your center on Christ, church. You guys following me? You got to set your center on Christ. It's what you're doing. You have to ask the question, what does God want me to do? And sometimes it is a hit. Sometimes it does feel like you're losing. Sometimes it does feel like you're not going to make it. Sometimes it feels like you're taking a pay cut. You're doing something outside the norm. It's really difficult. But let me kind of tell you, the safest place you can be is in the will of God. The most dangerous place you can be, it's outside that will. Because outside that will, what's going to happen is you're going to think your material blessing, your financial blessing, your intellectual blessing is somehow God's blessing you, when all the while it could be just God said, I'm done. 
enjoy. You're not going to listen anyway. And you could be deceived into thinking, oh, look at me. I'm serving Jesus. When all the while, he says, I never knew you. Because the first reflex of your life should be asking God, what do you want me to do? What is your will in this? If I have to take the pick, I'll take it. If you want me to go, I'll go reluctantly, scared, very scared, but I'll do it. The only voice you should be listening to is God's voice. You guys follow me? Even as I'm preaching to you, you should be reading the word of God yourself and asking, is PT saying the right things? Is this, is this reflected in his message? When you listen to your parents, they're there to give you wisdom. But sometimes parents' wisdom is not God's wisdom, yes? And ultimately, the only voice you're going to be held accountable to is God's voice, not Irvine, California. Buy a house. Be a doctor. Complete me. Doesn't work that way. That's not where we're going. It's not about you. How do we make mission of Christ center of our lives? One, never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. In everything you do, you do it for the Lord. And lastly, or set your center in Christ. And lastly, if up to this point you listen to the message and you're thinking, man, this cuts, right? If it cuts, rejoice because this is what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you're sitting through this message and you're thinking, I need to be done, he is rambling again, right? Repent because there is something terribly wrong with your soul. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes. Overcome is the word struggle, to overcome a struggle. Overcome is not me. He didn't say to him who settled through, to him who made it in life, to him who had the house, Right? I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is the last thing? What makes, what gives us, what, how do we make mission of Christ center of our lives? Lastly is this, listen to his voice. Listen to his voice. Here he says, listen, here I stand at the door. This is not asking you to accept Jesus Christ into your life. Maybe it is, right? But when he's talking to the church, these were his people. He's saying, let's restore this fellowship that we've lost. I'm standing at the door. These are my words given to you. Will you open that door, invite me in, and fellowship with me again? Would you invite me in and let me be a part of this life? Let me direct it. Walk with me. Trust me. Be with me. Listen to my voice. Jesus' voice, his words are our standards. That's it. I know this seems very obvious, right? But his word is our standards. Now, if you do not know his words, it's a very clear indication that you probably don't know where the standards are, right? But if you know his words, you know the standards. And the question is, are you moving towards that? I, I don't, I'm not even in the place where I need you to be perfectly there. 
but that you're walking and fighting the good fight to obey, to fight for obedience, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, to surrender and to say, Lord, this is my heart, surrender to you because you overcame for me. So this life now dedicated only to you. This is his word when it comes to your marriage. This is his word when it comes to your job. This is his word when it comes to your finances. This is his word when it comes to your future. This is his standards. The real question is, where are you when it comes to the standard of God's word, to his voice? Are you allowing his voice to speak to you? My kingdom, my righteousness, first and foremost. Are you letting the standards of the world speak to you? Christian job, Irvine, California. Big house. If it feels like discipline, it's because it's love. So come and restore your fellowship with him. And you can do it. That's the beautiful thing about God. It's that he, he, he died to have this fellowship, to make this new. You are part of his plan for his kingdom cause. He will not do it. I mean, he can do it. He can easily do it without us. But he wants us to be part of it, to share in his love, to share in his joy. You can repent and do it now. I remember, I remember, and I know you guys know the story, but it's the only story I have left to share. Right? It's, you know, I became a, I accepted, uh, accepted Christ, and then my fourth year is when I uh, decided to go into seminary. Actually, my fifth year. My fourth year, and then I gave in after taking a year off, right? But it was my second year that he spoke to me through his word, right? It was my second year in college where I was, um, I was preparing for my first mission ever, right? Like I was already answering prayers. How they did. I was like, I was making all excuses why I couldn't go. And then, you know, I just said, Lord, I'm just going to go. If you open the door, I'm going to go. And he did. He opened the doors, and I, just, I knew it was him. So in that season, I, was, I remember I was just really just reading his word and just putting it in my heart, setting it there. And one of the areas of his the word that spoke to me was, you know, um, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me, right? Take up your cross and follow me. And I said, oh, that's, that's good. I want to be your disciple. And I said I said it very easily. Yeah, Lord, I want to be your disciple. And I remember that night, maybe like maybe a week before I went to the missions, I was laying in bed. I was in the couch, actually, because that's where I slept, in the couch back then, right? That's my one-bedroom apartment with my mom and grandma. It's in the couch. My mom was there, you know, the... Joy, one of my joys, one of my loves, right? I mean, part of what I did in college was for her to get into med school and all that stuff, to want to go to med school. And I remember us laying in bed, and if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. And this is what he whispered to my heart. He said, if I ask you to give up medical school career for me, would you do it? Right? And the wisdom of the earth said, no, doctor. Right? So what did I say? I said, no. <laughs> That's crazy, Lord. Like, isn't there another way? <laughs> like, show me another anything else. But that was it. And God was so patient because he just left it there. We just shelved. I said, let's just shelve it, Lord. We'll get back to it. You know when we shelve something, you never really get back to it. You just kind of like, just kind of like, oh, Lord, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it later. Right? But God was very faithful because two years later, we dealt with it. He says, it wasn't even an ask anymore. He was like, you're going to give up your career, and you're going to follow me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't regret it. 
I know. Nowadays, I regret it, right? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I look, oh, okay, right? It's, it's hard, it's hard, right? To, to say that every day was easy was, 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 would be a lie. But I know the safest place, and, and, and there's joy behind it. There's a joy of building families with us together. There's a joy of doing this community, building God's kingdom one life at a time, doing the work, right? To be a part of this journey with us, with you, with him. I don't regret it, right? To be invested in each other's lives for it. I don't regret it at all, never. So my prayer is this. We have a mission for our church, for our lives. Live out the mission that God's called you to do, to bring his kingdom to wherever he has placed you to bring his kingdom. Don't be lacking in zeal. Don't come to a place where you're complacent, indifferent, and falling asleep to the Christian lullaby, to the satanic lullaby of our age. Center your heart on Christ and just ask the question, what do you want me to do? And even if it's crazy hard, I know it's probably the safest place for me to be. And it's the place exactly where I'm supposed to grow. And I'm not just listening. I'm not, I'm not just, just asking the question, you know, creating my own set of circumstances. You know how we, sometimes we ask the question, but you just kind of create your own answer? He's like, God, give me a sign, you know. Should I be a doctor? And you're like, oh, I just saw a stethoscope. Yes, I'm supposed to be a doctor, right? But actually, won't you ask and then open the word and listen to his voice? The Bible is so beautiful because it's a living and active word. It speaks back to you. You know that? You don't read it. It reads you. And as you're reading it, it's telling you, you think you know? You don't know. This is what I'm asking for. I'm reading your soul right now. And the the fact that you have an aversion for it is all the more an indication of how much you need to trust me. And we can trust Jesus because he overcame. That's all we have. We can trust him. And I remember Min, the last thing he asked is like, how do you trust this so much? I said, bro, all I have is him coming back from the dead. That's all I have, right? And his word, and his word. His word tells me he came back from the dead. I said, but you know, that's just a story written by men. Yeah, who are eyewitnesses to it? They were there, man. Like, it's either it's a lie or it's the truth. I will give my life for this, man. And I will sit here till daybreak for you to understand this. He said, okay, 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 okay. He came back from the dead. I got it. He overcame. If he overcomes, you can too. Let's pray.